Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Tuesday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
אני נושם, טועם, אני שומע ורואה, כאן במקום הזה, את כל מה שהיה, ואת כל מה שעוד יהיה, רק במקום הזה. אני שייך, הלב נמשך, אני בוכה להישאר.
What does it mean, very? Everything in the Torah is exact. It's a specific amount. What does me'od, what does very mean? You can only say it's so much more than you could possibly think. And then the next day when you wake up and it's closer to you and you feel good, you know what Moshe Binu says? It's even closer than that. And my bracha to you is that every single day we have no chidushim in our hearts and our minds. What it means that the Torah Kedoshah is HaKarave Lecha HaDavar Me'oyit and I always, I always try to encourage Chavre don't daven for yourself daven for the guy sitting next to you daven for your neighbor daven for your Chavrusa when we put ourselves aside and we daven for other people it becomes my oil. Say one thing together. I'm 
J.M. in the A.M., live in Jerusalem, volume number two with uh, Eitan Katz here on a, a J.M. in the A.M. Tuesday morning. Uh, before that, you heard a Baruch Nafshi done by, uh, or Baruch Naftal, rather. <laughs> Baruch Naftal, I misread that name. Uh, with My My Ma, you heard Duvi Shapiro, and this is my home. Odi Shama done by Eitan Katz, and before that by Kolachai. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Tuesday on this February the 11th of 2020, day 16 in the month of Shvat. Hope you enjoyed the Tuba Shvat special as much as we did yesterday. My thanks to Mayor Weingarten for uh, helping us bring a great Tuba Shvat celebration to the masses around the world. Much appreciated. And I welcome you to a JMN broadcast on this 16th of Shvat, uh, the year 5780, Tough Shin pay. 44 degrees outside with 95% humidity. Winds are north at 3 miles per hour. Rain today with a high of 47. Then tonight, cloudy skies, a low of 37. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy and a high temperature, 44 degrees. You shall I'm right now at 46. We're at 44 in New York City. As we say good morning at JM in the AM. Well, welcome to a Tuesday. We'll speak about Project Witness later on. They have the big educators conference coming up. That'll be at the Museum of Jewish Heritage on the 16th and 17th of uh, February. Uh, so we'll talk about the fourth annual Holocaust Studies Conference uh, coming up uh, next week. Might be something that's of interest to you, frankly. Yeah, there are a lot of people out there who are uh, who are very uh, focused on Holocaust education. And it very well might speak to you. Also, um, later on, boy, talk about a, a morning of education. Uh, later on this morning, Rabbi um, David Arnowitz is going to join us. The new Koran Tanakh is pretty amazing, to say the least. I hope I do justice in terms of describing to everybody what this is like. I'm holding the schmos in my hands, have gone through a whole bunch of stuff, including some of the things that they recommended I go through, which in this case, I don't always like being prepared meaning having someone prepare me for an interview. But in this case, I am so thankful they did because they pointed out some really amazing uh, um, uh, sections um, of the uh, of the Koran Tanakh, uh, Sefer Shmos. Uh, they're calling it the Koran Tanakh of the Land of Israel. And we'll explain all of it with my David Arnowitz, who's going to be coming up. Uh, later on here at JM and Plus, the Yeshiva League Sports Update is coming up. Speaking of sports, Yeshiva University basketball, the men's basketball team now ranked number 21 in the nation. They keep moving up. They're now ranked number 21 in the nation. Congratulations to Coach Elliott Steinmetz and the Yeshiva University Maccabees. They play tonight at home up at uh, uh, the Max Stern Athletic Center, Yeshiva University in Washington Heights, starting at 8 p.m. If you haven't caught them yet this year, try your hardest to catch them. They are Really an amazing team and uh, representing us really well on the court. And they've won 20 in a row. What do you think of that? So uh, do your best to see the Yeshiva University men's basketball team, the Maccabees, at some point in the next uh, couple of weeks. Tuesday morning broadcast. It's JM and the AM as we continue. This is a, uh, a selection brand new from Benny Friedman. i 
Tomek Hadavar, a song called The Escape here at JM in the AM. Wow. That's a good song for these partios, I'll tell you that much. The Escape uh, from the album Makar Chaim. It's Omak Hadavar. Esau Enai from the Nochi Krone Band. You heard Yeshiva Boys with Espanecha. Simcha Liners Rise Up. Moded done by Mordechai Shapiro. Kulanu Lech. That was uh, Benny Friedman opening up the... Um, the uh, segment, it's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and AchimSingle.com, and the AchimSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Galay Tzal in the background, we'll do our news from Israel coming up. Yeshiva League Sports Update is coming up. Oh yes, we've got a lot of stuff happening this morning here at JMNAM. 44 degrees with some rain and a high of 47. Clouds tonight, low 37. And tomorrow, mostly cloudy, a high 44. Yerushalayim on the day after Tubishvat, 46. We're at 44 here in New York City. Hope you enjoyed our Tubishvat special yesterday. A big thank you to Mayor Weingarten for making it a very special show. As usual, Kol Hakavod, Mayor. Galaitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Tuesday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JMNAM. צהל מירושלים השעה שתיים שלום רב כנועם אבירם עם מה שקורה עכשיו דיווחים מעזה כי הפלגים החליטו להקפיא את שיגור הבלונים לשטח ישראל מהבוקר זאת לבקשת בחירי המודיעין המצרי שנפגשו אתמול עם ראשי חמאס במסגרת מאמצי התיווך בידיעות בלתי רשמיות המגיעות מעזה בשעה האחרונה לא נמסר מה יקבל חבאס חמאס בתמורה כתבנו לענייני ערבים ג'קי חוגי דיווח אתמול כי תרם פגישותיהם בעזה נועדו המצרים שלשום עם בכירים ישראלים. בית המשפט העליון החמיר בעונשו של האדם שסייע למחבל בפיגוע בפאב הסמטה בתל אביב בשנת 2016. כתבנו לענייני משפט יובל הראל. העליון קיבל את ערעור המדינה וקבע כי הסייען ירצה שנת מאסר ולא עבודות שירות בלבד כפי שגזר עליו בית המשפט המחוזי בחיפה. בפיגוע שאירע לפני כארבע שנים נרצחו שני בני אדם, ולאחר הפיגוע פגש המחבל במקום היסטור את הסייען, שרכש עבורו מכשיר נייד. משרד הבריאות יכשיר שלוש מעבדות נוספות בבתי החולים הדסה, סורוקה ורמב״ם, לאבחון חולים הנגועים בנגיף הקורונה הסיני. עוד עדכן המשרד כי עד כה 140 בני אדם נבדקו בישראל בחשד שהם נגועים בנגיף, ואף אחד מהם לא נמצא חולה. כתבנו לענייני בריאות, מאיר מרציאנו מוסיף כי במשרד קוראים להימנע מהפצת ידיעות כוזבות על התפשטות הנגיף בישראל ולהתעדכן רק ממקורות המוסמכים לכך. עשרים יום למכירות, חבר הכנסת אלי אבידר מישראל ביתנו תוקף את כחול לבן ואומר, הם עושים הכל כדי להקים ממשלה עם החרדים. בריאיון לאמיר איבגי טען אבידר, נצליח להקים ממשלה גם בלי תמיכת הרשימה המשותפת. בלי הרשימה המשותפת ובלי המפלגות החרדיות, יש 91 חברי כנסת שאפשר להקים איתם ממשלה. וכחול לבן מובילים בפול ספיד אל מול המפלגות החרדיות, כאשר גבי אשכנזי מוביל את ראש החץ לקואליציה עם החרדים, כי הוא רוצה להיות שר ביטחון. תושב הרצליה הואשם בחטיפה, שוד ופריצה לדירה, אותם ביצע בשלושה אירועים שונים בתוך יום אחד. 
כתבת תחום המשפט, ליאס פילקין. על פי כתב האישום באירוע הראשון הגבר בשנות השלושים לחייו נכנס לרכבו של הקורבן, הצמיד סכין לצווארו והורה לו לנסוע לסניף בנק על מנת שיוציא עבורו אלף שקלים. כשהגיעו הצליח המתלונן להימלט. זמן קצר לאחר מכן איים בסכין על חבורת צעירים ולקח את הטלפונים שלהם. ובאירוע האחרון באותו יום פרץ לדירה וגנב רכוש רב. ומזג האוויר עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות, אך יוסיף להיות קר מהרגיל. אלה החדשות שעורך רועי ולד.
Golly, <laughs> done by Miami before that, Shalshelis and, uh, oh, there we go, Shalshelis and Gam Kielech. Uh, Joey Newcomb, to be a Yid, opened up the hour Tuesday morning, JM and the AM on this 11th of February and 16th of Shvat, the year 5780, Tough Shin We got some rain today with a high temperature of 47, 46 right now in Yerushalayim, we're at 44 here in New York. Thanks for all the uh, reaction to our Yom, our Yom, our Tubishvat special, there you go, <laughs> Thanks for the reaction to the uh, Tubishvat special. My my big thank you goes to Mayor Weingarten, who uh, did a brilliant job co-hosting yesterday and helping us uh, really enjoy Tubishvat together uh, with you in this forum. And I thank you for that, and I thank him for that. JM and AM Tuesday. This portion of NSN programming is brought to you by A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954 and available at better supermarkets nationwide try a and h today uh so in the world of sports you know what's happening at yeshiva university the men's basketball team going for 21 in a row tonight starting at 8 p.m at the max stern athletic center they are now ranked number 21 that's right they are now excuse me they are now ranked number 21 in nationwide Division Three basketball, and they go for win number 21 in a row tonight at 8 o'clock at the Max Stern Athletic Center. In the Yeshiva League, as both Saracek and the Yeshiva League playoffs approach, there is a lot going on. And those of you out there who are in any way connected to the Yeshiva League, remember, every single Tuesday, 7.20 Eastern time, we have the Yeshiva League sports update at JM in the AM. Today is no exception. A big thank you to Elliot Weiselberg. Yeshiva League sports update is next. Here he is at JM in the AM. Thanks, Nachum. 
What a fantastic final week of the regular season. More upsets, births clinched, and championship dreams burst. Today on the Tuesday morning, JM the AM Sports Update. JV Hockey East goes down to the very last second. Seeds and bragging rights are determined in varsity hockey. And Hafter finishes off its run to the top of the East in varsity basketball. Tons more straight ahead as we enter the postseason. Good morning, I'm Elliot Weisselberg. The JV Hockey East was decided on Tuesday night as Rombaum, Flatbush, and Hank battled for the third and fourth divisional spots. The night started off with a Falcon goal by sophomore Richard Cohen, but that would be the last thing to go right for Flatbush that night. Four unanswered Hank goals led to a 4-1 Hurricane victory over the Falcons, locking up a playoff berth for Hank. Not all was lost for Flatbush, though, as they could still clinch with a YDE win over Rombaum. And for much of the game, it seemed like all would be well in Brooklyn, as YDE amassed a 3-1 lead over the Ravens. However, Rombaum would battle back, scoring three straight, including the game winner by sophomore Nuda Grossman, to send the Blackbirds into the postseason as the East number 4 seed. The Ravens will match up in the first round with SAR. Frisch will travel to YDE, TABC will face Hank, and MTA will go on the road to DR. Varsity hockey did not see such drama, as most of the results were true to form. But the game that took the focus of the week was the one for pride between East champion DRS and West champion Frisch. The two top seeds, assured of their placement, battled in DRS, and from the opening faceoff, it was every bit of the show that can be expected in March as opposed to February. The visiting Cougars took the lead fast on a goal by senior Elliot Eisner 45 seconds into the game, but the Wildcats would strike back minutes later on an answer by senior Ariel Ifrigan. The home squad would score again in the second to take the lead, and would then add two insurance goals in the third period to lock up a 4-1 victory and the best record in varsity hockey. Both teams will now take a few days off and await the winners of the 4-5 play-in games. DRS will face either TABC or Flatbush as those two teams meet up for the second time in the last two weeks. And North Shore will face Ramaz with the winner moving on to Frisch. In the 2-3 crossovers, Rambam will host Kushner while Hafter travels to SAR. Moving over to basketball, where the last week proved to be an exciting one in both leagues. In varsity, the East Championship came down to the contest between Hafter and DRS. On the line for the winner, the top seed and a bye, along with Mag and David, and to the loser, a game in the first round. Early on, it looked like Hafter would cruise, building a 14-point lead, but the Wildcats would battle back to tie the game. That push would prove to empty the tank for DRS, though, as the Hawks would ride a 16-3 run the rest of the way and route to a 47-34 win. On their way to the division, Hafter took their last seven games, which included wins over Mag and David, TABC, and DRS. The Wildcats finishing fourth after Shari Toro leapfrogged them after a win over Flatbush that knocked the Falcons from contention, will host North Shore while Shari Toro meets YDE. Out West, Frisch finishes the year on a roll, knocking off second-seeded Heschel 60-57 in overtime on senior Max Sockheim's 33 points. And while it didn't help the Cougars finish higher than sixth in the West, recent wins over the Heat and TABC, whom they will face in the first round, will certainly give them a boost as we head into the opening round of the postseason. Hillel earned the division crown with Heschel's loss, and SAR will host Ramaz in the other West opening round contest. Finally in JV, SAR's 35-29 win over Ramaz avoided a four-way tie at the top of the West and clinched the number one seed for the Sting. Frisch earned the other bye as a result of their win over TABC two weeks ago. The Storm will host MTA, while fourth-seeded Hill will host Ramaz. In the East, Flappish earned the number two seed with a 40-29 win over Hank, and North Shore will travel to YDE after defeating Shari Tora, deadlocking them with YDE in the standings board, but losing the subsequent coin flip for home court in the contest.
And that was your Tuesday morning JM the AM Sports Update. I'm Elliot Weiselberg.
Pretty good, huh? Uh, Barry Weber with Mehera, 7.30 in the morning. It's JM in the AM. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Um, I want to remind you that Art Scroll has this amazing and incredible brand new uh, uh, Ein Yaakov on Brachos volume number two, which is available, and Tosfos on Brachos volume number two, which is now available. And, of course, uh, that's a big key regarding the... Um, uh, regarding the uh, those who have just started to uh, uh, study um, study Dafyomi, so you can check out their website and um, and um, make those selections a part of your repertoire, so to speak. JM and M Tuesday are by Goldwasser coming up in a second as uh, we continue on this uh, on this Tuesday morning broadcast. Reminder that. Um, if you want to sponsor part or all of a JMNAM broadcast, simply go to fjbunity.org. Again, that is fjbunity.org, and you could, uh, for a yard site or for uh, in honor of somebody for someone's birthday, etc., uh, you can go ahead and uh, sponsor part or all of our radio broadcast, uh, including Rabbi Goldwasser. Um, go, again, go to fjbunity.org and just follow the instructions, fjbunity.org. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas HaRav Zebunav Yosef Alevi and Zechonishmas Esther Basar Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We learn in the Talmud that Rabbi Akiva married the daughter of Kalba Savua, one of the richest people. And unfortunately, Kalba Savua did not agree with her choice for marriage. He disinherited her and told her that he will not give a penny, not towards the marriage and not towards the support. As a result of this, Rabbi Akiva and his wife lived in dire poverty. In fact, they had no mattress, they had no pillow. They had to sleep on the ground on a little bit of hay. Rabbi Akiva saw the distress that his wife was in. One day, when he was picking out the straw from her hair in the morning, he said to her, If I could, I would buy you a Yerushalayim Shel Zahav. It was a golden ornament in those days. It was like a necklace that had the entire Yerushalayim engraved on it, the city's outline. It was a very beautiful and very costly necklace. In fact, we learn that even Rabban Gamliel, the Nasi, could not afford such an expensive piece for his own wife. Rabbi Akiva saw that his wife was in distress. He saw that she felt bad. She remembered where she came from and how easy it used to be. So he said words that would comfort her. In the schus that he said these words, we know that Eliyoha Novi, Elijah the prophet, appeared at the door, knocked on the door, and when Rabbi Kiva opened it up, it looked like a very poor man. And he said, excuse me, but my wife is about to give birth and she doesn't have anything that she can lie on top of. Could you give us by any chance a little bit of hay, some straw? 
Rabbi Akiva did and then afterwards went over to his wife and said, you see how fortunate that we are. There are people that even poorer than we are that don't even have the straw to lie on like we do. We learn, the Mepharshim tell us, that Eliyoha Novi was sent into this world just to be mechazek, just to give chizuk and encouragement to Rabbi Akiva and his wife. How important it is that in this world we are sent here to give encouragement to others, to lift up other people, not chas v'sholem to make them feel bad, not chas v'sholem to tell them how they're doing the wrong thing, but rather try and correct them with love, try and inspire them, tell them the good things that they're doing, tell each other the good things that we are doing, our children and our grandchildren. That is the reason that Hashem has given us the koyach adibor, the power of speech, to lift up others, to inspire others, and to encourage other people. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. J.M. in the A.M. Tuesday. Um, the Koran Tanakh of the Land of Israel is one of the most remarkable. I mean, Koran has, Koran Publishers, has provided to our community around the world incredible volumes of incredible works for a long, long time. Uh, the current Tanakh of the Land of Israel is one of the most stunning and incredible uh, projects I've ever seen. Uh, it is the Susan and Roger Hertog edition of Exodus that I hold in my hand. Uh, as it says here on the uh, jacket, the current Tanakh of the Land of Israel offers an innovative and refreshing approach to the Hebrew Bible, combining extraordinary findings by modern scholars on the ancient Near East with the original Hebrew text and a brand new English translation by Lord Jonathan Sachs. The Koran Tanakh of the Land of Israel explains the biblical narrative. It provides new layers of understanding of the Torah's laws, events, and prophecies by exploring the historical contexts in which they took place. This volume of the series, Shemot, Exodus, features stunning visuals of ancient civilizations, including artifacts, archaeological excavations, inscriptions, and maps, alongside brief articles published for the first time in English on Egyptology, geography, biblical botany, language, and more. By showcasing material that was unknown to previous generations of Torah scholars, the current Tanakh of the Land of Israel provides new insight into the revolutionary impact of the Tanakh. The editor-in-chief of the current Tanakh of the Land of Israel is Rabbi David Arnovitz. Rabbi Arnovitz, shalom and welcome to JM in the AM. Shalom, I am not a rabbi. Just plain <laughs> David. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. I'll blame my staff for elevating you to that lofty position. Um, the, the the work is absolutely stunning. Uh, what, before we get into some of the specifics and uh, what your staff has done, or the people at Koran has, they prepared me with some uh, really incredible insights that we will talk about. Uh, what could you tell us about the uh, uh, about this project? Uh, uh, why is the Koran Tanakh of the Land of Israel such an important addition to the study of the Bible? Well, first of all, I think people are kind of running away from the Tanakh. A lot of our educational systems across the board don't get us excited enough about the Tanakh. And if you look at the Tanakh from the perspective of the time in which it happened, you realize that's how much a revolution it was, how God literally changed the ball game in the ancient world with an ethical and moral book that has changed the world until our very day. And um, a lot of that needs to be opened up by not looking at it through 21st century eyes, but looking at it in the eyes of somebody who lived at the time 
and understand the milieu of the time, and then you can understand really what the what the difference and what the what the revolution the Tanakh brought to the ancient world. When did you first fall in love with Tanakh? I, I've been on a on a path for a long time. I did not grow up Orthodox. I grew up conservative with a traditional conservative background, and slowly but surely, I kind of climbed the ladder and. Thirty-something years ago, I became Shomer Shabbat, and um, as I, I got the seeds planted in me with my parents, who were really um, revolutionary because they sent me to day school. I came from Atlanta, Georgia. I didn't come from the New York area, right? And so to go to day school back then was it was was a real difference. And so slow, after we got married, we kind of picked up mitzvahs a little bit at a time, mostly out of order. And um, when we made Aliyah and moved to Israel, I just really couldn't believe that I was living here. I took the tour guide class, and I studied Torah with some amazing people and kind of built a skill set that put me in a position to be able to do this project. Has the project started with Exodus? Is this the first volume of the Koran Tanakh of the Land of Israel? Yes, it is. Our um, donor, Roger Hertog, uh, was um, very adamant that this is what we start with, and also, ex- I mean, Breshi, Genesis is pretty scary um, when you're looking at this kind of perspective. You've you got to understand that doing this kind of work from an Orthodox perspective is like walking on eggshells the entire time. Will there be a Bracious, a Genesis eventually? Um, God willing, if I live that long and I still have teeth, I'm going to do the entire Tanakh. <laughs> but it's, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, really a lifelong kind of journey. The first one took two and a half years. We're hoping to pop them out one a, one a year after this. Symbolically, uh, and as uh, as you know, reflecting on the history of the Jewish people, it is fitting uh, that any project start with Exodus. After all, the the, the Torah itself, uh, we uh, we we know that there it, it was proposed that it actually start from Exodus. So I, I guess it's fitting that this be the first volume. It's fitting in one sense, and it's not fitting in the other sense, because this is the current Tanakh, the land of Israel, and the entire book of Shemot happened outside the land of Israel. Right. But I'm, we're hoping people won't really notice that. <laughs> David, David Arnovitz is with us, editor-in-chief of the uh, current Tanakh, the land of Israel. You say it's a two-and-a-half-year project. I believe it's simply because of the way it looks. The layout is amazing. It looks like so much thought and work went into it. Uh, the the photographs, uh, the the um, uh, the charts, the graphs, etc., are all incredible. I mean, you must have an entire team that spends a lot of time on specific sections and specific aspects of this Tanakh. Well, what we had to do was really spend a lot of time on the design, because whatever we do for this book is stuck for the entire series. And right. so, for this particular book, we went outside for a um, outside design firm named um, Dove Abramson Studios, I'll plug him. And um, he's just probably one of the best designers of Jewish textual materials. He, he does work across the board for all kinds of organizations. And um, we worked with him many, many months to try and get the, the look and feel exactly right, because we're going after an audience that's not just your usual Dafyomi crowd. It's not just usual modern Orthodox crowd. We want to make sure that it, that it goes across the board, that it's, that it's palatable for... Jews, non-Jews, religious, not religious, and also for the current generation. And you notice that none of the articles spill over to a second page because everybody's ADD these days because of the Internet. Right. So everything has to be short and, 
And to the point, the longest thing we have is a, is a double-page spread, but it also has a lot of pictures on it. Right. I was even wondering you know, how, how it could be called an article because some of it is so brief and so to the point. Um, the, the design is inviting. You open this up, and, you are, and, and it's a pleasant experience to look at it and to delve into the pages, and I'm sure that was one of the intentions of the designer. Well, we, we really wanted to go after a different audience. The Koran Talmud Bavli, which has just finished with the, coinciding with the Dafyomi cycle, um, is, is an indifferent kind of audience. It's the, the Dafyomi guys are going to read the middle section and look on the outside every once in a while. So it's an inside-out kind of study. Right. This is really an outside-in study. We want it to be a coffee table book. People um, look at the pictures, look at the articles that interest them, and then kind of get sucked into the Tanakh that way. Through, um, through seeing stuff that, that on the outside that, that brings them into it. And that's what we want to do is kind of draw people into the Tanakh by the look and feel of the book. Right. Uh, how important was it to have Rabbi Sachs do the translation? Corin's doing an entire revamp of the, our translations of the entire Tanakh. And so Rabbi, Rabbi Sachs is doing the Torah comp- component, and then we have other people doing the Nach. So it's, um, there's just not a very good readable Tanakh commentary or translation that, that, that's available. I mean, a lot of them feel very stilted, so I think what Rabbi Sachs with is an incredible command of the English language and also an incredible command of everything Jewish um, gives it an entirely new feel. But it's, it's not just, he didn't do it just for this book. It's going to be an entire set of books, uh, Shabbat Chumash, the, the regular English Hebrew Tanakh that Koran does. It's all going to be the new translation, and it'll be rolling out over the, over the years to come. By the way, this has been out how long, this Exodus volume? It just came out. We um, had the book launch in January wow. at the Spanish-Portuguese Synagogue in New York, and in February it started being available for sale. Unbelievable. And everyone can go, of course, to Corin Pub, CorinPub.com, K-O-R-E-N-P-U-B, CorinPub.com. Corin Publishers is online, and you can check out the brand-new Corin uh, uh, Tanakh of the Land of Israel. David Arnovitz, the editor-in-chief, is with us. By the way, uh, just because it, Peru, and we'll get to the specifics that, that your staff had uh, asked us to uh, to mention, and I'm glad they pointed out certain things because could, it could be endless in terms of the conversation here. Uh, but I did notice the chart on page 74, or I should say the map on page 74, uh, the most likely route, and this is obviously the, the, the partiot that we are now starting, the most likely route from Egypt uh, to Harsinai. And I, I, I now have a Taina. You said you know something about tour guides. Uh, I now have a tie on my tour guide because when we were heading down to a lot, they basically said, look to the left, there's Harsinai. And according to your map on page 74, it's nowhere near there. Look, there's as many different versions of and theories about way we went through the, the way we went through to get to Eretz Israel as, as there are scholars. And you just can't possibly put them all on a single map. The traditional route goes down through St. Catherine's Monastery, down at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula, and comes back up. Right. Etzion Gever was the time, and it went up through a lot. Right. Mount Sinai, we've got a few different possibilities on the map there. One in Saudi Arabia, that's a big, a big theory that people mostly have, have puzzled. And there's, um, there's, just, there's just so many different ways that we could have gone with no archaeological evidence and not a lot of understanding of what a lot of these place names mean or where they are, you just have to say it's probably here, but who knows? I think right. the whole the whole exodus is probably there, but who knows? Right. David Arnovitz is with us. All right, we go to Parsha's Yisro, which is this week's Parsha, and uh, the article that's written on page 108 of this Tanakh 
is that the week, the concept of having a week and in and uh, included in that week a day off, we know it as Shabbos, uh, it's a Tanakh innovation. This is something that the uh, the article claims um, uh, it actually was introduced. I would guess I, I would I would say to humanity, right? The concept of a week and a day off during that week was introduced to humanity through the uh, the mention of Shabbat in the Aseret Hadibrod in the Ten Commandments. Uh, the ancient world knew the sun and the moon, so you either had a lunar calendar or you had a solar calendar or some combination of the two, which is what we have today in the Jewish world, and so seven doesn't really mean anything with with relation to a calendar. So God gave us that as a regular um, cycle that didn't depend on any of the um, solar or or planetary stuff. And um, that was was a huge change. That was a big change because there were seven and 14 day of the month, but there was never seven, 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 no matter when the the moon rose and, and fell or when the sun went around around the earth the earth went around the sun or any of that Bob, we should mention by the way the articles are also divided up it, it, the articles are uh, color coded to tell the reader what it is that you're addressing are you addressing the geography are you addressing the botany are you know in terms of what's being addressed in that specific article on the page and yeah, that, that helps a lot to, to, to focus you and then also every pasuk has little dots next to it for the ones that have articles about that pasuk. Right. And that'll, that'll help you understand the text better. We go to Mishpatim, and I think uh, you've done something that's really important. You've explained the difference. We always hear how when people talk about slavery, whether they're pro or con, they're always referring to the fact that, you know, that God endorsed slavery because of the slavery that's in Parshish Mishpatim. But uh, the article here makes it clear that there's a big difference between slavery as we know it in modern times, or as we knew it in modern times, and the way the Torah treats people uh, when it comes to the concept of slavery. The, the Tanakh and the Torah specifically is a polemic against slavery. You, and if you look at the ancient world, slavery was such an incredible endemic feature of the way the ancient world worked that making the rules like we have in Parshat Mishpatim versus what existed at the time in the codes of the surrounding civilizations was, was indeed a revolution. And, and the, ma- the main difference is that in the ancient world, slaves were property. And so when you damaged a slave, you paid the owner because you damaged his property. When you damage an uh, Israelite slave, who's really not a slave because he's, he's working six years and then been going free after in the Shemitah year, then you, you let the slave go. The, the main concept between the ancient world and the Israelite world is the ancient world where they viewed slaves as property, we viewed them as human beings and treated them as human beings. And that's across the entire set of laws in, in, in Sefer Shemot and also Sefer Dvarim. And, um, and you just, unless you understand that, you don't understand, because you look at it 21st century eyes, you think, wow, this is really backwards. But when you look at it as, as, a, as a change for the civilizations in which it sat, it's, it changed everything. It changed the whole view of, of humankind and what a human being was. And we go to Parshas Bakude, which is toward the end of, uh, of Sefer Shmos, the, toward the end of Exodus, chapter number 38, Lamed uh, Chet. And there's the story there, and, you, and you've actually uh, put this under the category of archaeology. Uh, we read about the half shekel. Many people are, are, are certainly familiar with the fact that in order to take a census of the Jewish people, a half shekel was used uh, per person and is referred to as a beka in the Torah and a beka weight was actually found by an archaeologist 
which I guess we would say can confirm what the what the Torah had written about what was used in those days, correct? Well, this is one of the best stories of the whole book. Um, I, I always loved the city of David and was a real archaeology nerd from, from way back. <laughs> and I had listed all the topics that we were going to write about for the book, and we were knocking them off one by one, and it came to be showtime where you had to say, this is out or this is in. So I had a article on Becca, and I said, well, maybe there was something in archaeology about it, but I didn't know. So I sent my researchers out, and there's nothing there. So the day I was going to mark it, I had a little database of the articles, and so I was going to mark it rejected, open up the Times of Israel, and it says, we found a Becca wait in the city of David, um, right in the the Davidson Center near the south wall, that had Becca in ancient Hebrew on the wait. I mean, this this is something that that we're finding all the time. Literally, the Tanakh jumps out of the ground. And um, so I, and then there was the article. It came in. It was, re- it was really an exciting moment. Unbelievable. And we, of course, I mean, not, not just specifically for Shmos, but in reference to other areas of Tanakh, there have been other discoveries in recent years uh, that, again, either confirm or, or, or prove to us uh, that the existence of things uh, and prove the existence of different items and things that were used and mentioned in Tanakh. And that must be... Incredible and amazing every time you see and hear that something like that was discovered. Well, we're working on Sefer Shmuel now, and we're halfway through it. And that's a whole different ballgame. That's um, a lot of archaeology, a lot of controversy in the academic world. King David, no King David, which century, what was happening? Does the archaeology confirm or, or contradict what's going on in the Tanakh? And on a day-to-day basis, if you look at the Times of Israel or Jerusalem Post, you see archaeological stuff, and, and they're digging now in that period in several sites. And so it's, it's very dynamic, very exciting, and fortunately for us, the believing public, more of the um, findings that, that are out there confirm what's going on in the Tanakh rather than contradict it. Uh, now, it's not 100%, but, it's, but it's, 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 it's very interesting how the more that comes out of the ground, the, the more it's close to what's actually in the book. It really is amazing. The Koren Tanakh of the Land of Israel, everybody. Go to korenpub.com, K-O-R-E-N-Pub.com. It is an amazing work. It is meant for people all across the board, uh, Jew and non-Jew, Jews of all backgrounds. Uh, I mean, you'll, you will absolutely love uh, the translation, the photographs, the graphs, the historical articles. Uh, all the different things that are referred to um, in the uh, Tanakh. And this one is the uh, first volume about Exodus, uh, Sefer Shmos. Perfect time as we're reading through it uh, each and every week for you to get the Susan and Roger Hertog edition of Exodus of the Koran Tanakh of the Land of Israel. David Arnovitz is the editor-in-chief. Continued good luck. It, this this sounds like it's going to be a uh, lifelong project for you, and it must be uh, extremely satisfying to see the first volume out already. It, it's very exciting, and if you um, read it before your Seder, you'll really change the way you do the Seder. That's true. I was thinking, that. hey, can I put you on the spot for a second about this past week's Parsha? Sure. What do you think, um, uh, with Moses' hands going up, they're winning the war, with Moses' hands going down, they're losing the war? I mean, you know, usually we're either through miracle or through normal means, you know, fighting battles against the enemy, either miracle from above or, you know, the, uh, or the conventional, or the, the conventional manner that, you know, God, God helping us, but we're going through things in a, in a regular sort of fashion. Isn't this a, a real exception, a battle that seems to depend on Moses' hands being raised or lowered? 
So that's a Parsanut question, and this is specifically not a Parsanut book. <laughs> okay. but, I will t- but, yeah. I, but I will tell you that there is an, almost an exact same image of an Egyptian god, and it's in the book, with um, one sub-god holding up one arm and one holding the other arm, and he's holding up the sky. It's almost exactly the same image. And all I can say, did Moses know about that? I don't know. Did, is it one based on the other? I don't know. It's, it's just a motif. Right. from that time period that, 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 is, that is interesting. That's all I can say. Fascinating. Really appreciate your time. Mazal Tov on Exodus of the current Tanakh of the land of Israel, and thanks so much for joining us this morning. Okay, thank you very much. Dave, David Arnovitz is editor-in-chief. Go to korenpub.com, K-O-R-E-N-pub.com, for information about this amazing and incredible work. More coming up. It's JM in the AM.
J.M. and the A.M. Shlomo Katz and America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSingle.com and the NahumSingle Network. And of course on the beloved NSN app.
J.M. in the A.M. with Baruch Levine, Ushafta Mayim, before that, Michal Przensky, I'm Echad. J.M. in the A.M., we've been reminding everybody over the last uh, couple of weeks that there's a big conference coming up. It's the fourth annual Holocaust Studies Conference brought to you by Project Witness. Uh, this is for second-generation children of survivors, known as 2Gs, third-generation grandchildren of survivors, known as 3Gs. Anybody interested in learning more about the Holocaust and, of course, those educators, both in Holocaust studies and otherwise, who want to enhance their abilities uh, to speak about the Holocaust in the classroom. It's a unique and amazing opportunity. So if you're, if you're an educator of any type, you want to check out the fourth annual Holocaust Studies Conference. It's February the 16th and 17th, Sunday and Monday at the mu- this coming Sunday and Monday, at the Museum of Jewish Heritage on Battery Place, downtown New York City. And again, it's the fourth annual Holocaust Studies Conference. There's information at Project witness.org projectwitness.org there's also a phone number 718-305-5221 718-305-5221 every time we have a discussion about project witness we're joined by the founder 
of Project Witness, uh, Mrs. Ruth Lichtenstein. Mrs. Lichtenstein, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning. Thank you for having us. A pleasure to have you on. And uh, Blimey Tversky is with us. Blimey actually is the conference coordinator working very hard to make this coming Sunday and Monday a, a very worthwhile project um, uh, for people who are coming uh, to the conference uh, this coming weekend. Blimey, welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning. Good morning. Good to have you here. Uh, Mrs. Lichtenstein, take us back to the first uh, Holocaust Studies Conference. I'm sure you didn't know what the reaction would be when you brought this to the public. You didn't know if educators would respond. Obviously, now that you're in your fourth year, uh, people out there have taken this very seriously have in, and have incorporated it into their uh, schedule uh, to learn um, uh, what they can at the conference. So tell us from the beginning, what did you think? Did you think that the community and its educators would respond the way they did? No, we did not. Um, it was uh, definitely every year, you know, we work hard, we prepare a lot, and uh, uh, we hope, you know, to see our growing group of uh, educators who are very loyal uh, to Project Witness and what to, to what we are trying to do. And uh, it's not only a matter of numbers of participants, it's a matter of uh, uh, quality of people who are coming from New York and out of New York and uh, from different communities. And uh, more than that, the interest, I would say, is growing not only uh, in the Jewish community, but uh, out of the Jewish community of different historians, professionals and laymen who are developing uh, a real sense of interest to find out uh, what is this all about. Yeah, Holocaust education, thank God, is being taken seriously by by many, not just in the Jewish community, as you point out. I'm going to turn to Blimey in a second to speak about the actual conference. But Mrs. Lichtenstein, in addition to educators, Project Witness has said this is also a very good idea for second generation, meaning children of survivors, third generation, meaning grandchildren of survivors, to attend, you have a lot of those people right now listening. What would you say to second and to two Gs and three Gs? What would you say to them right now about why it's important and really a good idea for them to be at the conference? What I would say uh, to them is welcome, welcome home. Um, it's really started, you know, many years ago. My interest, uh, my interest in uh, second generation, um, actually, when I followed an article in 19, uh, that was written in 1972 by Helen Epstein, I found it in 1980s, about children of survivors. And I realized that she did an excellent work, but she interviewed uh, children of survivors uh, from, you know, um, different segments of the of the Jewish community, she did not interview uh, Orthodox uh, children. And uh, so I made it one of my goals to go ahead and to do it. Uh, talking many years later, certain things has not changed, means whatever I found then in my research, whatever was developed later on by other psychologists and you know, professionals and historians, 
And uh, talking about it today, um, there is something very interesting when we invite um, children of survivors, grandchildren of survivors. Uh, it's actually I, what I would say to them, that it's a statement of the heart, not the age. Uh, we have seen, you know, grandchildren of survivors or fourth generations that have a deep interest in it. And we have seen, you know, others that, uh, you know, children of survivors who might tell us, leave us alone. We have something to offer to them. And maybe we can come back later to the point why today it's more important than ever. Oh, I believe that. That's for sure. Uh, Mrs. Ruth Lichtenstein and Blimey Torsky are with us. Everyone is invited to explore the uh, fourth annual Educators Conference happening at the Museum of Jewish Heritage this coming Sunday and Monday. Go to projectwitness.org, projectwitness.org. Believe me, uh, you know, j just the lineup. I have in front of me the people, the personalities that are going to appear and are going to address the crowd at this conference. Just that list is extremely impressive. Yes, it is very exciting. The people that are coming in especially for this. Um, each speaker is actually going to be highlighting different and unique aspects of the second generation after the Holocaust. Mm. Uh, we have uh, people like Dr. Irene Salson from Yeshiva University. Uh, she's going to be exploring the latest research on intergenerational experience in Holocaust families, which is extremely relevant to second and third generation people, fourth generation today. Uh, we have Dr. Natalia Lexian who is affiliated with Toro College University, and she's going to be discussing the powerful role we play in transmitting our parents' story and the resources and how we get that information from them and how we pass it on and how we keep it. Uh, we have a special video, custom video, that was created by Reverend Esther Farkstein, who is based in Israel. She's a author and a Holocaust educator, and she's going to be actually discussing something very uh, interesting to all of us now because we are all discovering letters in the attic. We are discovering correspondences at the bottom of the drawers. And what do we do with them? Uh, and these letters are in real time. They were written at the time by our parents and by grandparents. And she has created a 45-minute segment just discussing these interesting letters that tell us things that happen at that time that we wouldn't otherwise know. Um, we have Dr. Hindi Klein of Oho Children's Home and Dr. Faith Zakheim of New York University who will be analyzing samplings of second-generation behavior patterns. We have uh, Mrs. Shoshana Schenker, who's a very well-known journalist in Israel, and she's going to be discussing something that's People have been talking about quietly, but she just wrote a book on it, her own experience as a child, growing up in a family where parents had had children before the war. And um, she has quite a few people that she spoke to, and it seems to be very prevalent, but no one has ever really touched upon it before in the religious community. Um, then we have Mrs. Toby Weiss. Uh, she is actually from the Metropolitan Jewish Health Services, and she's going to discuss our role as second-generation and third-generation caring to G's and our aging parents. Um, Dr. Eva Fogelman, who is a psychologist and an author and a lecturer, she is discussing expressing 
all these second-generation people that are now want to have a voice and want to tell their story, how do they express it? How do they channel their creative energy? Um, we have Dr. Michael Burnbaum, who is flying in from Los Angeles, is going to be discussing our role, the second generation, by virtue of the fact that we were born, what that meant, the hope, the awakening, the future, uh, the statement that our parents were making by having us, our families, and our role in being that future for the Jewish people and for the from community. I hope I covered everybody. I mean, you you have quite a roster, an absolutely incredible roster of people in this lecture-based uh, conference that is is simply fascinating, and and some of the topics are also fascinating in terms. I mean, I mean, all the topics are fascinating, but some of the angles that you describe that people are going to be speaking from uh, is really something. Blimey Torsky's conference coordinator. By the way, we should mention a couple of just logistical things. There is going to be a gourmet glot kosher lunch each of the days, so people don't have to worry about that. They'll be there and they'll be taken care of. And in addition to that, uh, the Museum of Jewish Heritage exhibit Auschwitz, not long ago, not far away, is still on. And Mrs. Lichtenstein, I went, I saw it. I, I mean, I was extremely impressed. Do you also feel that the Museum of Jewish Heritage did a good job on the Auschwitz exhibit? Yes, um, uh, they did. And I think that this is an important exhibit uh, to see. Absolutely. So everybody, uh, for that alone, uh, you get to uh, you get to see the exhibit. You have a full day of incredible education. A lot of people have uh, Monday off, so both Sunday and Monday would be days off. Take advantage and head uh, to the Educators Conference. Believe me, it's very simple, right? They should register online. Would that be the easiest way to do it? Yes, that's the best way to do it. Go to projectwitness.org. Projectwitness.org. Go to projectwitness.org. At the bottom of the page, there is a Register Now button. And if you are a 2G, a 3G, a teacher, any type of educator, somebody out there who spends time with Jewish history, with Holocaust education, even if you are not involved specifically in Holocaust education, uh, this conference, as we've described, could certainly enhance the um, uh, the experience that you have in the classroom with your students. Uh, and that could be both in Jewish schools and in general schools as well. Mrs. Lichtenstein, there was something you wanted to add about the importance of attending and, the, in general, the importance of 2Gs and 3Gs understanding their responsibility. Okay. Um, thank you for asking me. Sure. Let's put it this way. We live in a time of phrase of anti-Semitism, and let's not sweep it under the carpet. Right. Um, this is, could be, the source of the interest that... Uh, we have uh, from different, you know, public school uh, principals and uh, um, different elected officials that they are trying, you know, to learn more. But um, if we are talking now to um, two Gs or three Gs or to anyone who has an interest in uh, this topic, I would like to say the following. It's about time that we should realize that we owe a huge debt to our parents, the survivors. We don't look at it always this way, but let's think for a minute. They not only survived, they not only rebuild themselves, but uh, to us, just think backwards. If I'm thinking about my mother, she could have rebuilt her life in, uh, on an island. She could have uh, uh, gotten married to any one 
you know, under the sun. But she picked up to rebuild life and to renew the way that she saw at home. We owe our parents a huge doubt. Things that we are taking today for granted and we see it as self-understood are not so. And if I may add to it something, you know, else, we many times speak about uh, uh, that children are actually are a kind of a revenge against what the Nazis were trying to do to us. Right. Let's think together, yes, in this conference, uh, that the fact that we have today younger generations that continue in the same way of life of the grandparents and grand-grandparents, this is the most truthful, the best proof who actually won in this horrific battle. Yep. This, is, uh, this is the most everlasting proof of who ultimately earned both triumph and revenge together. No question about it. And it is hard to believe when you think sometimes what the previous generations did in order to survive and then how they handled things after survival, as you just mentioned. And yes, all of us, whether we're 2Gs, 3Gs, or just regular generations, we need to acknowledge that and understand what our predecessors have done. And this conference obviously gives you an opportunity to uh, learn a lot about that. The fourth annual Holocaust Studies Conference starts Sunday, February the 16th. It's a two-day event, the 16th and 17th, at the Museum of Jewish Heritage in New York City. Make sure to be there, projectwitness.org, projectwitness.org, or dial the number 718-305-5221, Blimey Tversky, thank you for joining us. Anything you'd like to add about the uh, conference itself? Well, we're looking forward to having everybody. Um, there is going to be an interactive question and answer with every Ooh, single speaker. That's good. So this is going to enrich your knowledge and provide invaluable resources to this generation, the next generation, and anybody else who joins. I'm glad you mentioned that. Q&A gives you a unique opportunity to, to really literally get down to the... Uh, uh, to the subjects that uh, the people who are attending want to get down to. And uh, Mrs. Lichtenstein, I thank you. Continued success. It is amazing. Four years in a row, and the work of Project Witness continues to uh, show our community just how important it is uh, to uh, continue our uh, Holocaust education, both within the community and outside the community. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank, thank you. you. More coming up. You're listening to a Tuesday morning edition of JM in the AM. Yeah. <laughs> 
J.M. and the A.M., perfect song, actually, after the uh, conversation we had with uh, the folks from Project Witness. That is a perfect song after discussing the importance of Holocaust education. Ani Mamin, Mordechai Ben David here at J.M. and the A.M. Tuesday morning broadcast on this 11th of February, 16th of Shvat. Good morning, all. Thanks for joining us. Much appreciated. Hey, our friends at Artscroll have this incredible deal going on. The Schottenstein edition, Ein Yaakov Brachos, volume number two, and the, the Artscroll Tosfos. Brachos Volume Number Two available now. Go to artscroll.com, artscroll.com. But wait, 
Make sure to use the promo code radio. Make sure to use the promo code radio. 20% discount on these with the promo code radio. Ain Yako Volume 2 Brachos, Tosvos Volume 2 Brachos. Again, 20% off if you use the promo code radio. If you use the promo code radio site-wide, I believe you get a 10% discount. So check it out today, artscroll.com, artscroll.com. Always use promo code radio. It always pays. Always use promo code radio. Simple as that, artscroll.com. Uh, thanks for joining us, JM and the AM. Uh, congratulations to the Yeshiva University men's basketball team. They're number 21 now in the country, Division Three ball. They're number 21 as they continue to move up the uh, chart. They go for win 21 in a row tonight up at the Max Stern Athletic Center, Yeshiva University. And uh, hopefully they'll be successful. And, um, yeah, we are very excited about what's happening up there at YU. In general, it's very exciting up there. A playoff atmosphere in college, plus the high school Sarachek tournament's about to start, plus, well, not about to start, but it's coming up in March, plus you have the uh, Yeshiva League winding down its uh, season and starting the playoffs. If you missed our Yeshiva League sports update, if you missed our Yeshiva League sports update, make sure to head to um, uh, to our archive section at thenachomsegel.com and check it out. It was uh, on earlier today with Elliot Weiselberg. Yeshiva League Sports Update every Tuesday at um, 7.20 right here at uh, JM in the AM. Brand new, Eitan Katz, live in Jerusalem, volume number two. <laughs>
Thank you. 
שלום במרומה. הוא יעשה שלום עלינו ועל כל ישראל. ואמרו, אמרו אמן. עושה שלום במרומה. שלום, יעשה שלום, שלום עלינו ועל כל ישראל. יעשה שלום, יעשה שלום, שלום עלינו ועל כל ישראל. יעשה שלום, יעשה שלום, שלום עלינו ועל כל ישראל. יעשה שלום. יעשה שלום, שלום עלינו ועל כל ישראל. תודה על כל מה שבראת, תודה על מה שלי נתת, על אור עיניים, חבר או שניים, על מה שיש לי בעולם. יושב לו אשם במרומים, הוא הרופא כל חולים. הוא הנותן רוב שמחה לילדים, הוא הרוסה משפטים. הוא בשמיים והוא היחיד, הוא הגדול הנורא. הוא השומר עלינו מצרה. Thank <laughs> you. 
JM and the AM under the chuppah. That's schlock rock with one of those classics here at JM and the AM. Before that, Michal Przansky and Shea Avo. Shea Bunna done by Ellie Marcus. You heard the Israeli medley from Yaakov Shweki's Those Were the Days, volume number two. Eitan Katz had Orach Yomim from Live in Jerusalem, volume number two. Mazel tov going out to Avraham Chayfetz, whose bar mitzvah is tonight. Avraham Chayfetz. Mazal tov on your bar mitzvah from all of us. Achenu Yisrael and Achim Achem, brothers and sisters in Israel. We are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com. On the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Tuesday here at JM and the AM. My thanks to Elliot Weiselberg. My thanks to the folks from Project Witness. My thanks to Rabbi Arnovitz from uh, Koren. Go to korenpub.com for all the information about Koren Publishers, and especially this brand new Tanakh. Just unbelievable. And I thank all of you for tuning in. Plenty coming up tomorrow between 6 and 9. Make sure to be listening. JM Rewind is next with Rabbi Shaul Rosen and Rabbi Yossi Baumol. Avrami is going to be doing a live lunch, not necessarily from Israel. Avrami's in town. He'll be doing a live lunch from 11 until 1. Make sure to be tuned in and have a fabulous Tuesday. Till tomorrow, Malcolm Segal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.